0: Welcome to the Kitchen, Bathroom and Cabinet Design Podcast with your host Hendrik, in association with CAD International and the Kitchen and Bathroom Designers Institute. This is the first and only design podcast on kitchen and bathroom design in Australia and we'll be working to bring you some amazing content to teach you the tips, tricks and tools of the design industry. We're going to be sitting down and hearing from industry experts who will share some really unique advice and perspectives on how to make a bigger impact with your design business and with your designs. Whether you're an interior designer, a cabinet maker, building designer, architect or student, we believe that you're really going to enjoy these episodes. So sit back, relax and enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to today's podcast. Um, I'm here with Spirula. Um, She works for Foxville Projects Group. And she is. Are you one of the head designers?
1: I'm actually the design manager.
0: The design manager. Okay. Um, Could you give me a quick rundown of what you do and what the company does?
1: Sure. So, Foxville is actually a partitions lining company, they do walls, ceilings, paneling, that kind of stuff for for quite large projects. Um, They've Mm -hmm. also got a sister company that I work with as well, which is called Global. Global's a joinery company. So between the two of them, they offer a full fit-out service. Okay. Yeah. So my role there is essentially to have a look over all of the designs that come through. Um, I check all the shop drawings. I liaise with the clients. I work with the factory staff. Um and just make sure that you know the initial brief is met and it goes all the way through to being executed on site
0: right okay and how did how did you get started in that
1: so i've I've got an interior architecture background
0: okay, um, is that different I, from interior design
1: slightly it's a little bit more involved, so interior okay. design focuses a little bit more on i guess bit more on just kind of spatial planning, colours, that kind of stuff, whereas interior architecture actually focuses more on the architectural details as well. Okay. So, it's almost like architecture and interior design together. Right. Um, Just the only thing that we don't do, I guess, is like the structural side. So I wouldn't okay. actually do the shell of a building, um, but I'm able to do everything else on the inside.
0: Okay. So, you basically do the, like the whole shell of the interior, not just, um, I guess, what interior designers do.
1: Correct. So okay. I'll I'll even come up with lighting designs, ceiling designs, um, you know, entire layouts, CAD drawings, mm. perspectives, selections of finishes, um, so the whole deal, joinery drawings, everything.
0: Okay. Um. And is that something you wanted to do after, like, you finished uni, or?
1: Yeah, that's yeah. um, I knew I wanted to do that since I was in year six. Oh.
0: <laughs>
1: so I've always always been interested. Right. Um. As soon as I finished high school, I went straight in. I fast tracked my degree, so instead of doing mm-hmm. it in four years, I did it in three. Okay. And so by twenty years old, I was in the industry, and I've been working ever since. So. Wow. Yeah.
0: Right. Yeah, I'm still studying. Unfortunately, like yeah. I have two, <laughs> two more years left of architecture.
1: Architecture is a is a larger course, because um, yeah. you've got to go through, do your masters, get registered, all of that as well. Yeah. Um, I wasn't too keen on doing the architectural course just because I'm not too interested in the structural side. Hmm. Um, I did like more the layout bit outside um, and I was lucky that I guess I was able to find a degree that finished up in three years so yeah. I was able to get working quicker. So
0: Okay so when you were young you had a pretty straight and narrow plan of what you wanted to do and you just did it? That's it. Okay.
1: <laughs> That's it. Um, a lot of my decisions through high school were based on doing, you know, a design-based career.
0: How much experience do you have in kitchen and bathroom design particularly?
1: I'd probably say more so in kitchen than bathroom. More in kitchen. Okay. Um, But in every job that I do, I work with both. Um, Okay. Why I say more kitchen is because I did have a little bit of time in my career where I actually worked for a company called The Kitchen Group, which Mm. is the umbrella company for Good Guys, Freedom, Sydney, and Wholesale. Oh and wow! I designed all of their showrooms nationally, um, as well as doing all the TV shows. So the block Renault Rumble. Oh really? Well. So, yeah. So I was That's able. That's very to, exciting. Um, it was actually um, dealing with the media side of things is very different. Than anything else that I've ever done, but um, that really gave me a good insight as to what was involved. Um, there, there's obviously a bit of fluffing around because you are tilling the TV. It's not yeah. real life, but. You know, in terms of what you have to do to actually get something from design stage through to production and mm. installed on site in a very, very tight time frame. Um, right, because
0: they tend to do it very, very quickly. Like, they want it on the spot and then for the block, like, they want to capture it all in the right shots. and
1: Correct. And you're having to then, you know, there's there's other skills that come into play there. you have to then coordinate with, with trades as well. Because, mm. as you know, with those TV shows, they actually, they show room by room every week. So they actually only fit out the room that they're that they're doing that week. So okay. there could be other trades finishing off something else while you're trying to get in there and tilers that go in while you're trying to put your joinery in and it's like it's a lot of coordination. But mm. it's it's an experience. Mm. I must say it was it was a great experience.
0: So did you actually do designs on the block or how how were you involved with that?
1: I did. Um, I was kind of behind the scenes for that, Um, apart from from one episode where I had to jump on and and actually defend the company, but (laughs) (laughs)
2: let's
1: let's not talk about that. Um, (laughs) So I was behind the scenes. I was there with the camera people and I would, I guess, direct kind of like an on-screen designer that was there to kind of represent the company. And we had certain deals with certain manufacturers, certain suppliers. Um, you know, new ranges that they were about to launch, new colours that they wanted on the show. And so we then tailored what we had to kind of get on camera and what we had to get on TV. We tailored it to each, I guess, contestant's individual style. So right. we sussed out their style when we did the consult and then picked and choose finishes that we then recommended to them that said, you know, this would be really good, this kind of style. of, And then that way... We made sure that every style of, I guess, kitchen and cabinetry and stone colour and all of that was showcased, um, as well as then making sure that their apartment still had that consistency in design as well.
3: So, okay. Wow, that's
1: really interesting. Yeah, so I was there on site, like, traveling from Sydney to Melbourne every week, um, you know, drawing up all the designs, working with the factory. Um, doing a lot of pleading to try and get things really quickly. right? Um, But, yeah, no, it was a great, great experience.
0: I guess that would have given you some really good skills in relation to working closely with all the manufacturers and all the people you were representing.
1: Correct, yeah. Um, And that was one of the aspects of, so I've, in my career, I've worked at many different places and worked on different, I guess, aspects of the industry Mm. from, you know, commercial office fit out through to multi-unit residential, um, through to, you know, kitchen showrooms. Um, I've done hotel design. I have gone into the joinery joinery game. So I think that kind of opened up more of the joinery side to me. So it gave me a little bit more exposure as to what was involved and I've from then realized that I really liked the detail of design, as in down to like the tiniest little detail that's on every cabinetry and the corners and all that kind of stuff. So that was, I guess, where it all started for me. Mm. And that is kind of, I was managing that team as well. And that's when I kind of realized that I really liked that type of role as well. Because then I wasn't just a drafter, you know, I wasn't just designing. I was across the entire process Mm. um, from getting the initial brief all the way through to you know making sure everything's on site, dealing with you know you got dealing with the CEOs of the company down to the tradesmen on site to the installers um, and at one stage I'd even have to merchandise as well like it was it was an entire yes process yeah. and so that opens up a lot more I guess experience it gives you a lot more knowledge
0: mm. Cause when you because when you go to work for someone like it's not really a typical job role that you would normally do. So, like, when you study, they give you this specific role that, I guess, they want you to fit in, but that's right. I guess having all these different experiences makes you, I guess, an expert in multiple different fields.
1: Well, that's where I'm kind of aiming at. Like, I've, I've you know, you work with the design side and you get to know how to create a concept and how yeah. to specify and how to design spaces and all that kind of stuff. But I've realized that a lot of designers and architects don't really have a good handle on the manufacturing side they don't actually mm, know true, how hey? things are built <laughs> um and so i i find a lot now being on that side that a lot of the design intent that they put forward ends up just being completely changed because the manufacturer just goes well that can't happen
0: <laughs> right because I haven't worked closely with the manufacturers to kind of understand how their processes work and how their yeah. construction details work and all that sort of stuff
1: yeah correct so in uh, you know my my previous role, I was able to I was very fortunate in being able to actually travel to Shanghai as well, and I went to a big factory in China that oh, wow. um, my company was working with closely yeah. with, because we had designed this bespoke elevated bed for a co living space, um, and you know I, I was again very fortunate to be able to design the first co living space in Australia that happened to come through our clients. so. Because all these joinery pieces were one-off, they'd never been done before, there was a lot of bugs to iron out. There was a lot of, you know, even down to the type of wheels that you use and the type of hinges that you use. and
2: yeah.
3: So
1: I went to China and I, I saw the way that they do it and they're on a massive, like they're on a different level. So what we <laughs> are here, um, they work at a million miles an hour. but In terms again, of
0: like mass production? or
1: It's ridiculous. You yeah. walk through and there's people following you with a notepad all the time. Holy crap. You just talk and they just write. And That's you wild. say, I want this change." and the next morning it's done. It's done. And you're like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know that could happen, but it is. That's did.
0: mental. <laughs>
1: it is very mental. But the, the work ethic and, and just the, the manpower they've got over there is crazy. Mm. So, um, again, that kind of gave me the opportunity to go into a factory and see, okay, I can ask for this, I can draw this, but can it actually happen? What does my drawing mean? Because it's one thing right. putting it on paper and it's another thing seeing it built. And there were a few things that I had drawn that made sense on paper. And then as soon as you start, you know, playing with it, messing with it in real life, you start to realize it's not practical. Mm. It'll it'll tip over or, you know, it doesn't close properly or or something. So, yeah, I think getting a really good understanding of the entire process, even if you don't specialize in anything, Mm. is really important because getting a better understanding of the manufacturing side actually makes you a better designer.
3: Yeah, that's that's right. That's what oh, I've yeah. heard from a lot of people, actually.
1: It's hard to kind of get into, and it's really hard to, I guess, when you go to the manufacturing side, they're very picky in terms of who they take on because they don't just – they at the end of the day, joiners and manufacturers hate working with designers. They hate it. Um, it's one of those love-hate relationships because they need them to be able to have something to work off, but mm. they hate them because they understand that they don't actually understand. They've never been on the tools. They've never been on the floor to know how these things are made. Right. Um, and so to have, you know, a designer that's got a little bit more knowledge in that is actually, it's, it's valuable for them. Um, you're, I guess, you're more, you're worth more in the industry as well. People will actually take you seriously. Um, yeah, because you're and, not
0: just designing. You've actually gone into the process of how to do it.
1: Correct. Correct. And especially, like I know it might sound cliche, but especially being a female in the industry, um, being in the kind of construction and architectural design side, it is male-dominated and you do really have to know what you're talking about to be right. able to talk with these guys and have like kind of grasp their attention and have them believe that, yeah, you know what? Yes, this will work hmm. as opposed to just kind of just disregarding you and going, you know, you've never been a tradie. You've never done this. What do you know?
0: Right, because I guess on the one side, the architecture industry is kind of male dominated. Oh. um, And then I guess more on the interior side, it's more female dominated. So it's kind of crossing those two boundaries to be able to say, like, you're a female, but you also uh, got hands on experience on all the practical stuff as well.
1: Yep, that's right. Because they do people hear interior design and they think. Can you tell me my paint colour on my wall and can you pick a pretty cushion for me? That's pretty much it. Um, yeah. And thats it's so much more than that. Um, and it's its about making space work. It's about making it practical. It's about maximising, you know, and when you're talking about kitchen and bathroom especially, it's about maximising storage. It's about making it, you know, work for your own needs. Um, you know, not being hung up on a picture on Pinterest, not being hung up on, you know, a showroom kitchen, something that actually works for you. Mm. Um, and I feel like, you know, if, if you can get a good understanding of making something look good as well as making it user-friendly and, you know, practical for your clients' needs, because that's the most important thing. It's not about you. Yeah. It's about the it's way about they the live clients. Um And as well as make, draw it and design it in a way that you know can be built because then you don't have somebody else saying having to change the whole design. right? Um, and then, you know, just, yeah, making sure that that person is happy in their space because they're investing a lot of money into this and they're potentially going to be with it for the next 10, 20 years. They need to have it, you know, work well, but there are designers where they just want just their image. They have a certain style and they'll try to push that style yeah. onto people. You know, they'll... And that's kind of the wrong way to go. Yeah, 100% it is. 100%. Um, The best designers are adaptable. Mm. They don't have a style. They will sit down and really listen to your needs and listen to everything that, you know, you want to incorporate into your space and they don't have to like it. Like I've done designs where I look at it and I go, oh yeah, I wouldn't have done that. But mm. you don't have to like it. It's not about you.
0: Yeah, it doesn't matter if you didn't like it or you did like it. Some other, your client might have really liked it and that's all that. Really matters.
1: That's it. And then it, it, the other way around as well, like it doesn't matter if you love it, if they hate it, mm. you've I guess you haven't ticked the boxes. You haven't done your job. So, you know, it's it's kind of it's a fine line between trying to convince them that, you know what, this is the right way to go because I've studied this and I have you know, in my experience I've experienced XYZ, don't do this, do this, all of that, and making sure that all their needs are met. Um, and that only comes with, you know, with years in the industry. So I've I've been working for about nine years now. Mm. Um, and again, I've worked at many different types of companies. I've, I've always been the type where if I feel like I can't get much further in a company, I tend to move on mm. because I constantly want to. And that's why, you know, in what was it like five years, five or six years in the industry, I ended up in a managerial role because I kept pushing my boundaries. I kept... I'd get into a role and just go, you know what? I don't know half of what they're telling me to do, but I'll figure it out. <laughs> it's the whole fake it till you make it. You know what I mean? Like right. It's, <laughs> no, it's, and that's it's very true. Like the biggest thing is, and this is what I guess the biggest thing is, is confidence. Mm. Nobody's born with it. You, It's a habit just like anything else. So if you, you know, do enough research and have enough experience where you're confident in what you're saying and what you're selling, then other people will be confident to hire you in that role. Clients will be confident to go with your design. People will feel safe and comfortable with what you do. Right. So,
0: and that comes, I mean, that comes from experience.
1: 100%, 100%. It
0: comes from making a mistake and then pushing past it and saying, no, I can improve and pushing yeah. further, I guess.
1: Yeah, And and having something to back you as well. Like you need <clears> to have some kind of work to back you to say, I'm saying this for this and this reason. I'm not just pulling it out of nowhere. I've done this and it hasn't worked or I've done this and it has worked or, you know, this complies with Australian standards. This doesn't Mm. because that's another thing it's compliance. Um, And so there's a fine line, I think, between confidence and arrogance. So if you come into the industry with no experience, acting like you own the place, (laughs) nobody's (laughs) going to want to work with you. (laughs) And I've worked with a few of those. Yeah. (laughs) if you you know you start off really open to you know just taking everything in speaking to as many people as possible asking as many questions as possible um you know not being afraid to say that you don't know what you're doing or you don't know what they've asked of you because that's that's happened many times for me you know they'll mm. ask you something and instead of just going okay sure I'm walking off and going what just happened just ask them. Just go. You know, yeah. well, I didn't actually understand what you were saying. Can you show me? Can you explain it to me?
0: Right, and then you have two scenarios how that could play out. Either they accept that you've asked them to learn something and they help you along, Yeah. or number two, they they mock you for not knowing.
1: Yes, but so that two. comes. That's a character. That's a character thing. So that yeah. if things like that happen, it starts to show you the type of people you're working
3: with. Mm.
1: Every good. Person in some kind of supervision, like supervisor, manager, director role, should be grateful, like and happy that you're asking questions. Um, Because those people that come in, that put the show on, that act like they know everything, they might fool people for six months, but then down the track, you're gonna actually have to execute. You're gonna actually have to put something, you know, to use on site, get it built, whatever it might be, and that's when everything starts to unravel. So you kind of cross your t's and dot your i's early on you admit you know you ask as many questions as possible so that you eliminate any kind of issue that might happen later on and that i guess that actually builds again it builds your confidence but it also helps people see you in a different light as soon as you're confident in what you say and what you do and you back yourself automatically other people see you differently you have a different kind of aura um, and you walk, you kind of go around, and and you can again kind of grasp everybody's attention and have them not just brush you off like, yeah, look, look, who, you know, who's this person walking around like thinking they know everything and everything that's coming out of their mouth is, you know, is wrong.
0: Right, because like, everything you say is actually backed up by.
1: That's right.
3: By evidence.
1: Yep. Hmm. So yeah, that's that's. I guess that's really important. Like design is a very subjective industry. Um, yeah. It comes down to personal opinion. It comes down it to does. one guy might love something and then the guy next to him will hate it. Um, and it took a, a few years for me to kind of not take that personally because mm. when you're studying, you don't have to really yeah. do that. You just have to please your teacher or your lecturer right? and make sure they're okay with it.
0: Yeah, it's super weird because um, in university, like you have one one lecturer or one tutor and they're the one who's going to be marking you. That's <laughs> so it.
1: That's exactly that's right. That's the
0: only person you're designing for. And then some people might not get, like they might get a different mark, but it's so convoluted because the tutors inputting their ideas and it's just a complete mess.
1: And another thing I've found um, that is an issue with, I guess, uni assignments as compared to real life is that you're not working really on a budget you're not working with real money. Right. You know, they. it's a lot of the time it's kind of just be as creative as you can. So you can, when you have no budget, sky's the limit. You can do whatever you want. Right. Um, then you come into the real world and all of a sudden, every people are saying to you, this is too expensive. I need you to value engineer it. Value engineering is probably the most commonly used phrase in the architecture and construction world. And it's all about I guess, swapping out for cheaper alternatives. So you could have you know, designed an entire job and then a builder comes back that's won the contract and goes, sorry, I didn't allow $100 a square meter for this. I only allowed 50
0: Right, and that's where you, you need to, to work closely with them so that you can do the value engineering. So you can figure Correct. out, oh, how does this product work? Oh, maybe that could be better than this product that I'm using.
1: That's right. That, that's exactly right. And that's where your knowledge of products comes in. That's where your knowledge of hardware comes in. That's where the research has to get involved. And I guess over the years, you kind of learn how to value engineer before you even submit a tender. You kind of think about it before you even put it forward to eliminate any of that stuff because the last thing you want is to get your heart set on the design. You've drawn it. You've specified it. You've gone through the motions. You put it forward and they make you change everything. Then the design starts being compromised doesn't look the same anymore it doesn't feel the same anymore so if you can design with value engineering in mind initially it is massive it's it's a massive positive um and that company i guess that i worked for that did that co-living space with that custom joinery that was a very very you know uh, it was it was a kind of budget friendly project where it had to look a million dollars on like a hundred dollar budget essentially like as an example so that's why things were built offshore and not locally and that's why we had to get a lot of things done you know kind of in a more budget-friendly way but at the same time nobody really needs to know that the final product still needs to look amazing um and so you know that's that that job it was like a 16 square meter studio apartment and it had to have everything in it. So not only were you dealing with massive budget restraints, but you're also dealing with, you know, really, really confined spaces. So in a 16-square-meter room, you had a small bathroom, a kitchenette, and a bed that had everything under it, a sofa, a table and chairs, a wardrobe, everything in one, in one room. Um, and that just goes to show that if you design well to the space and you design to the budget and, I guess, you tick all the boxes, it doesn't have to cost you a million dollars to look amazing. That actually, that project um, actually won the Good Design Australia Award last year for architectural Whoa. interiors. Um, and that that room as a whole costs like $20,000 to build, including, like I'm talking fully fit out, including bathroom, kitchen, all the joinery. Really? Offices. Yes.
0: That's insane. Um,
1: yeah. Painting, electrical, plumbing, the whole deal. And $20,000 is, is a kitchen these days on its own.
0: Yeah, that's a small kitchen on its own.
1: That's right. So that's where you really have to bring in just any knowledge that you've acquired, over any experience that you've got. Hmm. Tap into it and go, okay, how can I make this look great, but on a shoestring budget? And you know that that then proves to us that we were up against multi-million-dollar apartments um, all around Australia.
0: Wow, that's crazy.
1: And for it to win at $20,000, you're like... That's insane. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's
3: really crazy.
1: Yeah. So, yeah.
0: Well, so value engineering, if you do it well, you know, you can really turn up with a really great design.
1: 100%. And you don't, you risk, you know, you eliminate the risk of the design being completely stripped back at construction stage. Mm. So you kind of you give yourself a better opportunity to actually keep your design all the way through if you've right. taken price into account from the beginning. Okay. Yeah.
0: Now, I want to have a bit of a chat about, I guess, starting off in the industry, in the design industry and kind of working your way through different companies. Yep. Um. And I want to know what sort of conditions are ideal to, I guess, kind of work your way up and under what conditions would you decide, well, this company is not really for me, I'm going to move on?
1: Well, I, I guess I was very lucky that I got, an, I got a job into the industry within like two weeks of graduating. Hmm. That was pure luck. I had no experience. <laughs> um, it was just somebody that was willing to, you know, go out on a limb and, and give me a chance. Um, right. And so with that, I got into the office fit-out game. And there I was kind of a junior designer. Um, and I would just kind of put forward some designs and whatever, but then there was always a senior above me that would review everything. And I just I kind of learnt there when you're starting from a junior or a graduate, like everybody does. Biggest thing, like I said earlier, was make sure you hound any kind of manager, any boss for information. If they say something, ask them why. Why didn't you like that? What's wrong with this? Why are we changing it? You know, just just get as much information as you can. Then. I got to a point where you know I wanted a change because again office fit outs is a little bit limited um in what you can do mm. um got into the residential market and I did hire like multi unit residential, but that was at an architectural firm that didn't really offer interiors as such okay um and so I got to a point where I almost kind of became a glorified draftsman. I wasn't doing what i what I do um mm. and I I did. I got to a point where I got as far as I possibly could at that place before I had to go and actually finish an architecture course, which is not what I wanted. So yeah. I I hit a dead end, and I said I have to move on. Um, then I got in into the you know the kitchen group side, um, and was designing. I actually started as a kitchen designer where I, I went out to people's houses, measured up, designed it for them, had to try and sell it to them on the spot. So that was an experience in itself. It only lasted a few months. I couldn't do that. That was a hard job. Um, but then I got called back from them and they said to me, you know, you, your sales were high because your designs were good and you were honest with them. So instead of just being a salesperson where you just walked in and you just wanted to make money, mm. I was honest. There were times where I actually walked out and said, I can't help you because these because those companies do modular. Which means all the cupboards are set sizes. There's nothing custom about it. Mm-hmm. And so you can't help everybody. You, there are people that, for certain spaces, need custom. Um, and so I kind of left that, and they called me back and said, Well, is there, we want you back, but we know you're not going to want that role. I said, No. They said, What else can we do? I said, Something that's, you know, a little bit less. Domestic. I don't want to be going to people's houses. I want to be office-based. All of that. And they said, "Okay, well, this position's opened up. You can design all of our showrooms across the country." I was like, "Okay, that's a bit different." That's insane. (laughs) It was. It was big. Um, and we did massive rollouts. And every week, I was in a different state, and I was, you know, again working with the TV shows. And I did some celebrity kitchens as well. I did Scotty Cam's kitchen. We did Darren Palmer's kitchen. Um, and that. Took my career to a different level because they took a chance with me and mm. put me in a managerial role where before that I was in a junior role. So that's not the, opp- the experience everybody has. Um, sometimes it takes people a bit longer. I was, I guess, lucky because I, I learned a lot and so I was able again to back myself and, and be confident in what I did. Mm. Um, and I've also not kind of been scared to just speak my mind and say what I think. So I I got myself into this role and I just thought, you know what, again, I've never done this before. It's scary. But just figure it out along the way. And that's what I did. Right. I asked a lot of questions. I again went to dealt with the factory, dealt with all the senior staff, um, you know, dealt with the installers and when they said you can't do this, I'd say why? What what's the alternative? Why can't we do this? I need to know moving forward because I don't want to make the same mistake twice. I want to make sure everything's designed to be able to be installed and produced properly. Um, and I guess it's just that can-do attitude. Don't ever right. turn anything away. Don't ever act like you're too good for anything. Do any role that comes your way because you will learn something from everything.
0: Right. You're going to gain skills from that either way.
1: 100%. Even if it's just making the boss a coffee. You, you learn, you kind of bond with certain people in different ways as well. Um, and if you're you know you, if you're not picky with what you do there comes a time in your career you know 20 years down the track where you can be picky <laughs> um starting off though you can't you yeah. need to take on everything that comes your way doesn't matter whether you think you're too good for it or not whether you think this isn't part of my role you know i was doing programming and and scheduling and that kind of stuff and i'm thinking this isn't design this is project management stuff yeah um and that's what i'm doing now as well so i'm i'm currently working out of my company, doing some stuff for the Crown Casino at Barangaroo, and a lot of it is project management-based. And you think to yourself, this isn't design. What am I doing? But then you think, you take a step back and you go, no, well, this has to be done in order for the process to go through the way it has to go through. You need to program things. You need to schedule things. And that's, if you're open to everything, then you will get so much knowledge across every aspect of the industry. Even being open to estimating, being open to, you know, the pricing side of things, even though it has nothing to do with design, if you know how much things cost and you know how much things materials cost to get and materials cost to fabricate, then nobody can act like they know more than you. You will constantly know off the bat that, you know, no, you've ripped me off. That's not right. We can do this. We can't do this. This falls in budget, you know. Just knowing a bit about every stage it it it's like a world of knowledge. you can't put a price on that
3: right
0: so that kind of drives your value up as, 100%. as
1: a hundred percent you're worth professional, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're worth more um you know i'm I'm actually a panelist next week at the Sydney build expo um
0: uh we got an email about that actually oh right, okay,
1: okay. <laughs> Yeah, well, I'm speaking on one of the panels next next week um, about the diversity in construction sector. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, so it's, you know, you, you get exposed to different things, you meet different people along the way, Yeah. and that's how you network. That's how you move up in the industry. That's how you right. get a, you know, you, you will get some scary opportunities being thrown your way. <laughs> Never say no to them. Never say no. Um, because, again, get into it and figure it out when you're in there. Mm. providing it's not, you know, a qualification you don't have. Like, I can't go and pretend I'm an engineer, you know, or or pretend I'm a, a cabinet maker because I'm not. Yeah. But if it's a design-based, I will figure it out along the way. YouTube, Google, <laughs> like, <Yeah. laughs> there is so much information out there now. So, right. Yeah, you just need to be open to it. It's the most important part. Mm. And not be arrogant.
0: Yeah, <laughs> that's an important point. Do that not be arrogant. <laughs> yeah. Um. Okay. And so, what would, what are some of the leadership skills that you've picked up on your journey so far? What are some of the important things you need to be able to do if you're in a managerial position or in a leadership position as a
1: designer? One, a few actually. I I kind of learnt from the different bosses I've worked under. And I've picked on what I like that they did and what I didn't. Right. Um, And don't ever act like you know more than anybody because somebody under you can still teach you something you don't know because their journey's been different to yours. They've been exposed to different things to yours. So always be open to everybody's opinion. Um, You can't, don't ever undermine anybody because you have no idea what that person's capable of. Right. Um, I guess delegate well. That was something I struggled with. I always had this thing where I'm a bit of a perfectionist. So I would kinda of take everything on myself, let me stress myself out and just be like, Well, I can pass this on to somebody else to do. But then I'd have this thing of, I want it done my way. You know, so and then I had to let that go. That again. Yeah, that I used to, to struggle of, with
3: that at uni.
1: Yeah, I, it's I kinda it's got hard.
3: Over it.
1: Yeah. It's hard, but then you realise that, you know, everybody needs to have a chance to work on every part of a project
3: mm. you
1: can't just take it all on yourself, um, and so delegating is very important. Sitting down with whoever you're debriefing or briefing, you know, I tend to create a concept, and now that I'm working in the in the fabrication side, the manufacturing side, I will come up with a concept to design, I'll speak to the client, get a brief all of that, and then I'll have to debrief to a drafter or someone to actually get them to shop, draw shop drawings and get it ready for production. Don't just send them an email with some markups and say do this. Sit down, give them time. Because if you want these people to do the right thing by you, you need to do the right thing by them. You know, don't. I've, I keep saying to any of any of my um, my guys, there's no such thing as stupid questions. Um, you know, doesn't matter what, because I do. I get people coming up to me going, this might be a silly question. I'm like, no, you have no idea how many of those I have asked. <laughs> you have no idea. Um, you know. Just any question, even if it seems like common sense, ask the question, get the answer. Um, and I just, it's always very just an open policy for me. There's no, you need to sit down with me and talk to me some, about something. I'm always free. You need yeah, to, I mean, I never there's have... no
0: other way to learn, right? Like, that's the only way that's people right. learn is by making mistakes.
1: That's exactly right. And don't ever make them feel like less of a person for making a mistake. Because there are, you know, Take responsibility. If it's your fault, take take responsibility. If it's their fault, explain to them what they could have done differently, but don't ever make them feel like stupid. It's it's just the worst way to go about it. Because people don't grow, that suppresses them.
3: Yeah, that keeps that's them right.
1: that will then constantly make them doubt themselves. Hmm. You need to give them more responsibility, allow them to make those mistakes, but not be scared that they're going to get hounded afterwards if something goes wrong you know, that you need to give them that safe, safe space um, where they feel like, you know what, they can come to you and say, you know what, I screwed up. I should have done this and I didn't. And you go, it's all right, we'll fix it. We'll sort it out. I've been there before. Everyone's been there before. So I think it's it's just that people, like delegating is a big thing because obviously mm. that's, that's time management and making sure the workload gets evenly distributed. Everybody's right. busy. But I think it comes down to the person. Some people are meant to be managers. Some people just aren't. Some Mm. people go on massive power trips, and (laughs) they see the title, and it means everything to them.
0: Yeah, but then they get into that position, and they can't do the bloody job.
1: That's exactly right. Um, And the title means nothing. Like I, I look at it as well. I'm just like, if I title just said designer, and didn't say design manager, it would mean nothing to me. I would still sit next to them, and I would still mark up their drawings, and you know, send those emails to clients, and ask the questions for them, and help them wherever i can like with my last place because i've i got more involved in the joinery side i actually was asked by my boss to run a joinery workshop for a you know team of 10 architects that was petrifying <laughs> these people have been in the industry for 20 years yeah i'd been in the industry for maybe 7 at that stage and i'm thinking what am i teaching them they should know this
0: i guess um, it's just a specialised knowledge you've picked up that well, that's I guess right. they might not have learned
1: yeah and they know other things. I, I used to go to them for other things. They just bounce information off each other. Just learn as much as you can. Um, and by doing that presentation, I could have just said, no, nah, that's not my job. Um, it's not my job to teach them, get them training. And a lot of people do do that. But I was like, no, you know what? I can t- use this opportunity to then teach myself as well. Because in order to do this presentation and this PowerPoint and, and to present it to these people, I need to research. I need to make sure everything's correct, I need, and I learned a lot just by doing that exercise. Mm. So that then comes back to don't just get hung up in what your role is. Do anything and everything around it because you will gain something from everything. Mm. Um, so that's, yeah, I think that's the biggest thing for me in terms of being in that role. It's just being approachable. Don't right. put anybody down. Don't make them feel stupid. Just do what you got to do to get the job done. 'Cause the final result and making the client happy is the most important thing at the end of the
3: day. Wow, mm. oh, okay. Just gonna have to process everything you
0: just said. <laughs> <laughs> um You said that you that you, on the panel that you're gonna be on, um you're gonna be talking about diversity in the design industry.
1: Yeah, well, diversity in construction,
0: it's in called. In construction.
1: Yeah.
0: Okay. Um. Could
3: you maybe give me
0: like a quick overview of maybe some of the issues in the design industry or some of the diversity issues in construction?
1: Well, it's I guess it's touching on what I said earlier as well, the gender, I guess, difference as well um, across construction and design. Are kind of blurring that line between the two, where you know the men can un- understand that a woman might know just as much, if not more, than they do in certain things. You know, mm. don't don't get so hung up in what your gender is just because typically men are, you know, t- tradesmen. The amount of women I've seen on site, you know, that they bring something else. They bring a different element to mm. to the industry that that they may not have had before. Um, there's you know another aspect of it where there's you know actually designing, being culturally sensitive to it as well. So there are certain, you know, when the Chinese are big on the whole feng shui, now you need to design to certain cultures if that arises as well. So then that comes down to, you know, diversity in design, making sure everybody's, you know, treated fairly, making sure Mm. everybody's paid equally. You've got a male manager and a female manager. Why should they be paid any different? Right. You know, that there's no reason for it. Mm. Um I guess it's just it's just what's become the norm over the years, but now the way the world's going it's it's that that line is really being blurred now
0: yeah, so could you tell me a little bit about because we know men and women are different in the way that they work yep, um, so what are some of the unique things that a woman brings to the design force
1: um I feel like generally women are. A bit more sensitive um, to, I guess, a client's needs as well, um, especially when it comes to residential design, um, because I find that they really picture themselves, you know, using that house and how would I use that kitchen and how would I use, because that's typically the areas that they would be in, um, and so that makes a client feel comfortable as well when they feel like that person can step you know, into their shoes and understand their needs, really. Um, but men and women, they help with different different things. Like, I guess, when it comes to, you know, fit-outs of a, a cafe, a restaurant, a retail store, anything like that, women are more in tune with colours and making things look pretty and making, things you know, fluffing them up and, and and all that kind of stuff. So I think they bring that kind of element to the industry as well, whereas a man will bring construction knowledge to the industry, how things are built a bit more. um, You know, okay, you want it to look like that. This is how we're going to do it. So if you just kind of tap into a female's expertise and a male's expertise and put them together, essentially you'll get an amazing product.
0: Right. Um, and you try to get them working in places
3: that they're better at?
1: Um in my where I am now it's pretty even okay you know, there's, there's, I
0: guess after a certain point it doesn't really matter because you pick up all the skills you need anyways
1: well that's exactly right yeah. yeah but um, you'll find that I guess rightly or wrongly the project management side is usually males and the design side are usually female okay Um, so I think that comes that's more like the creative and the logistical kind of mind Um, you know I found that the males tend to like that kind of, I'll send the email. I'll say this can't, can and can't happen. I'll sort out the contracts. I'll sort out the budget. You know, I'll deal with the guys on site. That yeah. kind of stuff. And the females are like, I want to make this look good. I want to make it flow. I want to make it work. So, um, but again, it's, it's. I haven't really found. I'm the only female manager in my company at the moment. But across every other industry, like. On the floor, actually, in the factory, it's only males where I am yeah. now. But in my previous previous factory, it was males and females. So they did different things. They were even on the tools. I had females that were painters, that were cabinet makers. Mm. Um, you know, but in terms of there's draft, there's male and female drafters, it's pretty even. Um, there's male and female, you know, engineers. There's, so it's not, again, everybody's got a different, comes back down to where you've come from, what you've learned. So just because you're a female just because you're a male doesn't mean anything because it, it really comes down to the experience that you've had. Right. And the right boss will see that and they won't, you know, kind of judge you based on, you know, you come in as a, as a big alpha male or you've come in as some, you know, strong power-tripping woman that's <laughs> come through and gone, hey, I was a manager at my last place. That's what I want here. Right. So, yeah, it, it shouldn't matter. Doesn't matter
0: these days. So, um, could you talk a bit about some of the maybe more recent projects you've worked on? Some of the some of your favourite projects?
1: Um, well, one one of my favourites, I probably say, was that co co living space mm. that I designed. Um, being kind of in, I guess, the initial, I've like been able to design the first of its kind in the country is a pretty big deal. Um, in terms of, you know, just having that on on your portfolio, having that behind you. Um, And then I did the second one as well in Paddington and the third one in Newtown. They just kind of rolled out back to back. Um, They were, I guess they were fun because they were different. They were the first of their kind and so they weren't trying to mimic anything that's ever been done before. Hmm. Now, I've worked on design, you know, hotel designs and stuff as well. I did the in Penrith. Um, I've I've worked on a few different projects, but that was kind of like just it was its own thing. There was mm. again, there was nothing to compare it to, and so you, the possibilities were endless in terms of how you wanted it to work. Um, at the moment, in terms of the biggest project I've worked on right now, I'm working on um, some things for Crown Casino, Barangaroo. Okay, um, that's massive, as you mm. probably know. Um, it's multiple billions of dollars worth of work so it's it's on a different level in itself yeah different expectations different developers different builders um you know different clients you know with those kind of projects you're not just dealing with you know one architect you're dealing with three different architects two interior designers a developer a builder a client and everybody has to approve everything (laughs) you know things constantly get changed which is probably my pet peeve in the industry Mm.
0: so you have to be very adaptable then
1: correct you need to not you just need to go with the flow if things get changed work with it whinging is not going to get you anywhere (laughs) you try (laughs) but it doesn't get you anywhere um you just if something changes you just have to you know i actually um perfect example a couple weeks ago i i had ordered some veneer that was coming in from america like timber veneer for Mm. some doors that i'm doing and they literally changed their mind, as I had placed the order. It was at the airport, ready to get on the flight to come here. Now that was close to eighteen thousand dollars worth of Vinnie, just one my time. Word. So
0: that and, was a complete write off. Or
1: well, I managed to get it right in time. It didn't actually get okay. on the on the plane, so I was very lucky. But again, I could have just said, "Put my foot down," and kicked and screamed and said, "No, I'm not doing it." And then I thought, you know what, you're not going to get anywhere. All you're going to do is, you know, delay it even more, which means there's going to be a chance that it's going to get on that flight and you're going to be out of pocket. $18. Right. So so you have to make just,
0: a plan quickly and don't panic exactly if right. it goes wrong.
1: That's right. So problem solving is a massive thing in the industry. You just need to go with the flow. You know, I've worked I've rocked up to sites before where I've designed something and then I walk in and there's a bulkhead where there shouldn't be because the builder goes, oh, sorry, I had to put it there. Did you think of telling me, <laughs> And they're like, oh, sorry, no, I didn't think. So you're cutting down joinery and you're trying to make things work. And again, you could, kick can scream, but it won't get you anywhere. You need to be adaptable. You need to problem solve on the, on the go. What's my best option to get the best result right now? That's it. So, um, but yeah, I think I'd, I'd say the co living, Yuko is probably, Yuko is the name of the, the brand. It's okay. probably my favorite project that, not only gave me really like a lot of there's like I guess opportunity to design. It gave me a lot of creative freedom. It also gave me the opportunity to go to China. It also gave me the opportunity to you know do some things with um you know there was a lot of articles written about it. domainrealestate.com Sunrise did a piece on it. Uh, you know it won an award like that for such a small project that I didn't think would be so impactful. Um yeah it's I guess the f- best projects to work on are the ones where you learn a lot from them and I learned a lot from them and I got a lot of experience um and opportunity um, to kind of just expand my knowledge do more research travel you know it got acknowledged as well which is always a plus um so yeah that's I was actually overseas at the time that the award ceremony happened so I was very I guess upset that I didn't get to go up and get my award, but right. <laughs> you know it was it was a great thing to to find out while you're overseas. So yeah. yeah, it was good.
3: Um, yeah. So what was?
0: This is about kitchen and bathroom design. So I'm just trying to think <laughs> that I'm allowed to ask questions in this direction, which is funny because it's my show. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Well, could you tell us a bit more about maybe some of the ideas and thoughts that went into the co-living space design?
1: Yeah, well, that was mainly based about around, you know, maximizing storage and space in a very small area. Um that was the concept of it. It was kind of I guess the co-living concept is to kind of work it it kind of shakes up the rental market a little bit. It's like a short stay and long stay. I guess it's a short and long stay space where you could stay for as short as three months or have like one or two year contracts like you do in the rental market. Yeah. It offers your community at the same time. So there was communal kitchens and communal courtyards and stuff where, you know, a host, an actual live-in host would organize events and networking and, you know, yoga classes and dinners and all that stuff so everybody can kind of meet and, you know, interact. Mm. Um, and so, but we were limited because all the sites that we had were pretty much in the city. And so we they were trying to ma- maximise the amount of rooms that they'd get on a limited site because obviously the closer you get to the city, the less floor space you've got to work with. Mm. Um, and so it was really about just being smart having everything have a multiple use so our bed you know I wanted to create as much floor space as possible but I wanted them to be able to have everything that they needed like every necessity that they needed so it was an elevated joinery bed where one section pulled out and it was a table and chairs the other section was a a, you know a wardrobe the other one was a, a sofa on wheels and the staircase that went up was drawers so you could use everything everything could be put out and set up or you could pack everything away and you had a clear floor space. Now, I had this shelf underneath the the TV that flipped down and became a desk and then flipped back away. So you really had to be smart in giving everything. I actually designed everything based on, okay, how can I use this in two different ways? How can I pack it away and have it useful? Or how can it look good but be practical at the same time? Mm -hmm. So that was, I guess, the I I created like this, um, like a custom pin board like an accessories rail and you could hang off it pin on it you know put papers on it it was a shelf as well it was like this multi you know multi-use thing so everything had to have a second purpose apart from the kitchen and the bathroom they kind of just do one thing yeah but everything else had to have you know a second purpose and that was i guess we we the whole concept for that was based around um Le Corbusier's idea of a home is a machine for living. So everything became a machine. Everything okay. had to work. Yeah, and everything had to work together and independently at the same time. But it was like, imagine like this Lego house where everything has to kind of fit in. Yeah, together. right. So that was the concept behind that.
0: There's and limited it, space, so you've got to make everything right. work well.
1: Yeah, and make sure these people have the option to be able to use the space the way they want. So, you know, we would sell it in a way that was like, okay, well, you can have everything set up and have a friend over for dinner and sit on your couch and watch TV and, you know, have your wardrobe and all of that. But at the same time, if you pack everything away, you can roll a yoga mat on the floor and you can do your yoga.
2: Right, that's
3: cool. But
1: with the type of people that were staying there, that's the kind of thing that we had to appeal to.
0: Sounds you know. like millennials.
1: Pretty much. <laughs> Pretty much. Um, and a lot of, I guess, there were couples in there as well, which I don't know how they lived in those rooms. They were tiny, but they, they did it. A lot of people just love living minimally. They just love not having a lot of things and not hoarding and, not, and they just live off exactly what they need. And they found those spaces amazing. Um, you know, there was another type of bed in that, in that space where it was a futon bed. So it was a normal queen-size bed and from underneath there was a futon sofa that came out from it and the back kind of clicked up and became your couch. So we had to think about everything. Um so it was it was quite difficult in the actual design development side. Um, but the execution was, mm. was good. Um, same thing with the kitchen, like the kitchens were tiny. They were like one point three meters long. They were tiny. Whoa. They barely fit standard. And so you had a tiny little three three hundred cooktop, you had a microwave, you know, you had a bar fridge, like you had to give them what they needed. Mm. But in a tiny little space, like... It was, yeah,
0: that's quite small here.
1: Yeah, really small. Wow. But at the same time, comply to Australian standards. You know, we had accessible rooms in there that had to be, you know, a, usable for an accessible person, like a wheelchair um, accessible. And it needed the clearances and it needed... And with such a tight space, that was really hard to get.
0: Yeah, that sounds but, super difficult.
1: Yeah, but that it was... sounds very hard. Again, don't think... When I graduated, don't think I ever thought, I would be working on something like this. Like, I never thought I would be able or I'd have the ideas or I'd have the capability to work and draft and document and, you know, anything like this. This all comes with, you do it, you make mistakes, you learn. The next time you do it, you do it better. Mm. You know, you you make a point of, again, asking the questions and getting involved and all of that. So that's the design development stage. Um, So that's, yeah, I guess that's, the biggest part with that U coast project was just being smart with space, but you can a- apply that to any part of a house or any project. Mm. There is no, you know, any project whether commercial, residential, hospitality, you know, anything medical, where they say to you, you know what, storage isn't a thing. Just give it all open. That doesn't happen. Storage is a massive thing,
3: yeah. um,
1: and everybody wants to maximize storage. So. If you know how to do that, you can apply it to anything. So, especially kitchens. Especially kitchens.
3: Right. Um,
0: I think we're kind of running out of time now. <laughs> <laughs> There's That's been a all... lot that we've covered, so my brain is like trying to think about all the different things at once. <laughs> um, could you just give us a bit of a rundown about what your so this will be the last question. Right. Um. Yeah, just give us a bit of a rundown about where you're aiming to go soon, or what what your medium to long term goals are.
3: Okay, um, that's a tough one.
0: What uh, you're working <laughs> on achieving at the moment?
1: Well, I I've always had this I guess this want to kind of go off on my own as well. I've always wanted the opportunity to do my own thing. When you run the show, you know it's it's your sky's a limit after that. Um. But there's always, there's a beauty to working for somebody else as well. I guess just moving up the ranks and getting a role, I don't even know, I guess I could only go director, design director from where I am now,
2: but
1: having that role that kind of encapsulates everything that you want and being able to pick and choose what, you know, what you take on and what part of the, the job you don't want to do. Um, at the moment, I am doing work that I may not want to, may not want to do. It's more project management. It's it's things that are, um, you know, that aren't I guess really, um, in what I want. Um, but at the end of the day, moving forward, I guess it's just kind of maintaining, um, you know, maintaining your status in the industry, networking as much as possible, learning as much as possible, maybe just staying in in the kind of role that I'm in now. It's not. I can't really go too much further. I guess it's more just building relationships. More,
3: hmm. um,
1: you know, working for a reputable company, being able to work on some massive flagship projects that put your name on the map.
0: Yeah. You know. And that's I guess where, uh, for you contributing back to the industry with uh, all these talks you're having.
1: Yeah. So that's. Um, you know. Yeah. Being, even something like this, being able to do a podcast, that's something yeah. I never thought I'd be able to do. Um, so. Um that's you know all that kind of stuff only comes when you can actually have something to talk about yeah
0: well I just want to say thank you so much for doing this podcast and I've learned an awful lot so
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's, that's great that's good I'm glad I could help